um, which, uh, which exalts, uh, exalts himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God. Therefore, Steve, since Steve Stockman openly declares that he and the Pope are fellow followers of Jesus, but not the Jesus of Scripture, he has set up the platform upon which he is rightly charged with heresy. Uh, the Reverend John Armstrong, uh, moderator, the Reverend Colin Mercer, deputy moderator, and the Reverend John Greer, clerk of Presbytery. So that is that uh, statement on that, and it's a sad thing to see the departure that has taken place, and uh, continuing departure that has taken place. Well, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to read from um, verse 15 again. The uh, first epistle of Paul to the Thessalonians chapter 5, and beginning our reading at verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word again. Verse 21 there, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Let's just unite together in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee again for the opportunity of coming to thee. Our God, we think of this verse that urges us to hold fast all good things. And we recognize, our God, the good things are the good things of thy word. We recognize, Lord, that there are those in this day the false teachers, the false prophets, as it were, who would seek to lead us astray. We pray, our God, that we might be those that indeed prove all things as thy word urges us to do here. Bless our God as we consider thy word just now, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. At the time of the Reformation and in the great upheaval that was taking place in the church, there were three pillars of the Reformation that was at the center of that great movement. The first, of course, was the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And uh, Luther called that the standing or falling doctrine. And he said that if you didn't believe in justification by faith alone, then you are not a church at all. Then the second thing was the Scripture alone, the sufficiency and supremacy of the Holy Scripture. What we teach, what we believe, has to come from the Word of God. It cannot be the teachings of men. 
It cannot be the thoughts or philosophies of men. It's got to be what the Bible has to say. And neither popes or councils or any other pastors or anything cannot come and bring their own uh, thoughts to the, uh, to the pulpit and try to preach something else. We have to uh, come by the word of God. But the third pillar of the Reformation was the right to private judgment. Uh, by that they meant that we, uh, as God's people, have the right to interpret the Scriptures in, for ourselves in the light of what the Scripture says. We think of Martin Luther. Uh, he is maybe the best uh, um, example of this. Remember the Diet of Verbs, how when he was called to retract what he was preaching, he said, if the emperor desires a plain answer, I will give it to him. It is impossible for me to recant unless I am proved to be wrong by the testimony of Scripture. My conscience is bound to the word of God. It is neither safe nor honest to act against one's conscience. Here I stand. God help me. I cannot do otherwise. I can do no other. And the Church of Rome said, well, you don't have the right to private conscience. You have to go by what the church says, what the Pope teaches, what the theologians, the magisterium of the church has set out. That's the only thing that you are to accept. There is no right to private conscience. And that controversy is one that has raged down through church history. And there are many today who are seeking to undermine it, not only in the Church of Rome, but you think of how, for example, um, there are those like, uh, there have been those who have sought to impose themselves as leaders of cults and those who have become leaders of religions and so on, who have sought to bind the conscience of people. On the other hand, you have people that go through too far and they leave aside the scriptures and your own conscience and what you feel is what you go by. And there are many who have gone down that road today. We live in a day when every man does that which is right in his own eyes, and somehow that has got into the church. But I want you to see that the principle of private conscience is here. He says, prove all things. Now, he's speaking to the people of God here. He's speaking to the ordinary church members in Thessalonica, and he says to them, Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. And he commands this as a duty. And here is something that is a responsibility for every child of God. We live in a day when many of God's people are willing to sit back and be fed and never uh, delve into the Word of God and never test what has been said or what has been taught and as a result of that not testing things, all sorts of aberrations have been allowed into the church. And many of those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have been led down the garden path by charlatans and religious hucksters who have uh, tried to usurp um, the place of God in the church. So we, this is important what we read in this portion of Scripture. And I want to reinforce it here today, and I want us to get hold of what 
Paul is actually saying to us today. And I want us not only to get hold of what Paul is saying, but I want us to put it into practice. I want us to be those who prove all things. I want us to be those who examine what we are taught in the light of the Scriptures. And so, for a few minutes today, we want to look at what we're going to call the Bible Students' Charter. Now, first of all, I want you to see the principle. He says here, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Now, he's speaking in the context of the previous um, warning that was given, where it said, despise not prophesying. And we saw last week that when we're talking about prophesying today, we're really talking about the preaching of the Scriptures. And we said last time that really those that preach the Word of God stand in the place of God. When we preach, if we're preaching what the Word of God has to say, then we are to receive the congregation, are to receive that as the very Word of God. We are to receive it as God's command to us. But here's the other side of the picture. Just because somebody comes and preaches doesn't mean that what they're preaching is the Word of God. And this is the other side of the picture now. He says, prove all things. Yes, those that come preaching the Word of God are to be listened to, they are to be heeded, they are to be um, taken as authoritative. But only as we prove all things and make sure that those that are preaching are preaching what the Word of God says. And that is the um, thing that sort of um, uh, uh, modifies the, uh, the uh, command that was given in the previous verse. And we think of those that are spoken of in the Scriptures. For example, we think of the Berean Christians and they were commended for the fact that they didn't just take what they're being told for granted, but that they searched the Scriptures. We're told in the book of Acts that these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. So they received the word with readiness of mind. They weren't sleeping. They weren't dozing. They weren't daydreaming when the preaching was taking place. They received what they were hearing with all readiness of mind, and then they took what they had heard, and they searched the Scriptures to make sure that what was being told to them was true. And by that means, they were to deal with the false prophets and the false prophecies. Now, we're told in Matthew 24 and verse 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And this is a strong deception. So he's saying here that there is such a thing as a strong deception, that even it may be possible that the very child of God might be deceived. And he says we've got to guard against that. Well, how are we going to guard against it? By searching the Word of God. And I want you to see that we've got to prove everything critically. The Greek word that is translated there, proved, is a word that means a critical examination. It actually, in um, some of the ancient Greek manuscripts, actually refers to 
um, an examination, passing an examination. That's what the word is used. It's meant to uh, refer to a professional examination. It is a technical expression, and it means uh, like acting on a, an examination board so that you approve what is being preached. Um, it was used of the degree of doctor of medicine in those days to describe the candidate as approved, as fit for office. And we read in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, how Paul charges believers, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove, now that's our word, what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we've got to approve or prove or make sure that what has been preached is right. It means continually putting every thought and deed and word under investigation. John MacArthur, the American preacher, writes, and I quote, it is a failure in the area of holding fast the faithful word that is largely responsible for the superficial, self-elevating preaching and teaching in many evangelical churches. The weak, shallow, insipid sermonettes of for Christianettes. So here's the real villain that has led so much trouble in the church. It is not looking at what is being taught. It's not listening. It's not putting it to the test. Just letting it flow over us. So we have to prove these words critically. Then we have to prove them constantly. The word prove is a present imperative. And in the Greek, that just means that you don't, um, it's not a command to do something once off. It's a command to keep on doing it. So we don't just do it once off, but we keep, this is going to be a rule. It's going to be a part of our nature. It's going to be a habit that we have that as we listen to what people say from the word of God, that we are going to put it to the test and we're going to think about what the word of God says in other places or just to consider the context because that's often the key because very often people will lift um, the, the text out of the context and sometimes I will do that too but hopefully when I do it I will tell you that I'm doing it and I'm doing it for a reason and I will warn you that I'm lifting something out of the context but if it's lifted out of the context, if it's not something that the context is speaking about, then you've got to be very suspicious on the first place. But if this is something that is going to be the habit of our lives. It's going to be something that we continue to practice day by day. And we um, uh, need to be vigilant about these things. We have in our own province young evangelical ministers and they go into their first church with great enthusiasm and they're met by unsaved elders and it's not long before they begin to modify the gospel and begin to water down the gospel that they're preaching and we need to watch for that kind of thing but not only are we to prove this critically and constantly but we are to prove it carefully Spurgeon made the point that, and he just said that if somebody was to set a joint of meat in front of him on the dinner table and it was a bit smelly and it looked a bit off, 
He says, I might taste the first piece, but if it was um, a little bit uh, rancid or there was something wrong with it, he said, I wouldn't eat any more. I wouldn't take any more. And he was making the point that there are some people who seem to think that you need to go back and back and back again. You need to keep on putting your hand in the fire to make sure or to prove that the fire is hot, that the fire will burn you. You don't need to keep putting your hand in the fire. You, you need to be careful that when you see error creeping in, that you stay away from the error or they point out the error or that you um, are those that are then alerted by the error. We need to prove these things carefully. And then we need to do it collectively because he's writing here to all of the saints in Thessalonica. He's writing here to the congregation. And it is vital that we do this as a congregation. Um, you know, the whole of the officers in a congregation could go astray. So the whole of the congregation, it's not just a matter for the minister or a matter for the elders or a matter for the deacons. It's a matter for the whole of the congregation. Every child of God has to be involved in this because we can't be too careful. And then we've got to prove this comprehensively. And I mean by that, that it's not just the words, but it's the conduct of our life. All of these things have to be in accordance with the Word of God. Not just that we're um, going to come on Sunday and portray ourselves as those that are, um, those that are um, people of God, but that in our conduct, in what we do, in our interests, in all that we do, that those that are preaching the Word in particular are going to be those that are going to stand for God and for the things of God. And of course, we're not saying that any preacher is perfect, for none are. None are. And there are many faults and many failures, and we've got to get those under the blood. But where there is constant and complete failure, then there is something that is wrong. So we need to make sure that we have as our business, as our habit, this thing of judging the Word of God that is preached and making sure that what the uh, preacher is saying is accordance with the Word of God. Now, what is the process? We've spoken about the principle. The principle is that we um, make sure that what has been preached is the very Word of God. How do we do that? How do we do that? If it is our duty to prove all things, and if we're going to be like the Bereans, who even tested the apostolic preaching, then how are we going to do it? Well, the first thing is, we've got to know the Scriptures. Now, if we're going to judge the preaching of the Word of God, then we've got to know the Bible ourselves. There's no point in uh, trying to judge the Word of God if we have no knowledge of what the Bible says or no knowledge about the teaching of the Word of God. We think of how the Bible is the standard by which uh, reformers like John Wycliffe raised England and he nailed the flag to the mast as the Word of God. And he said it's not the popes or cardinals or synods or councils, but it is the Word of God that is the uh, only rule of faith and practice. 
But you've got to know the Bible. Do you know the Bible? We live in a day when many of God's people have only a flimsy knowledge of the Bible. Many are not even reading the Bible, never mind studying the Bible. And we have all the technology today. You can read the Bible on your phone, and you can have all of the, um, of the uh, commentaries and all of the uh, uh, thesauruses and all of the, uh, all of the um, uh, lexicons and so on. You can have all of those things that maybe would have cost hundreds of pounds for a library to be built up in days gone by, and now you can have them on your phone. And we have no excuse. We think of those who come as seducers, and we need to recognize that the devil goeth about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to, um, uh, in every way that he can, undermine the word of God. And if he can corrupt the word of God and corrupt the gospel, then he has done his job. If he can sow a little bit of leaven into the meal, then he feels that he has done the job. And he has in many ways because he's wandered down the word of God. But we've first and foremost got to know what the word of God has to say. And that means study. It means we can't take a shortcut. That means that we've got to take the word of God day by day, and we've got to take down the commentaries and so on. And we've got to see what the word of God has to say, and we're not going to be alerted to somebody saying something wrong if the Bible is not in our minds and in our hearts. And so many of God's people have been led astray in these days because they have taken for truth what is a blatant lie. What, what anybody could see is a heresy. And yet there are many of God's people have fallen for the heresies of the charismatic movement, the word of faith. So a thing today, I don't know whether it was true or not, whereby Benny Hinn was, um, was um, looking for an apology for his teaching on the wealth and, and repudiating it. Now, I've got to see whether that's true or not. We'll see in the next few days. But that just came up today. But nevertheless, many people succumb to the heresies of this day. Not only are we to test by looking, knowing the Scriptures, uh, learning the Scriptures, studying the Scriptures, but we are to test by giving attention. Now, we have already said about the Bereans how that they um, received the word with all readiness of heart. Now, that's what we're talking about, this receiving the word with readiness of heart, listening to the word, listening to what is said. Many will let what is being said flow over your minds and hearts. Sometimes it's the fault of the preacher. Many, many, many times it's the fault of the preacher. Now, what he's saying is, is something that loses your attention. But on other occasions, it's because of ourselves. Now, sometimes it's because we're tired. Sometimes it's because uh, we're weary from what we're doing and so on. And in many ways, I suppose, we can make all the excuses. But nevertheless, very often when we listen to the Word of God... We are not really listening. We're letting it flow over us, and we're not taking in what the preacher is saying. And many come to church not to be taught or to exercise the uh, discernment that they have been given, but rather just to 
want uh, their feelings to be played with or to be entertained or to go away feeling good or to be encouraged in some way. And it's good to be encouraged and it's good if our feelings are um, those that are going to be helped in any way that we can. But that's not the purpose of preaching. We're not here to entertain or to tickle the ears. What you need to do is listen earnestly and conscientiously and with forbearance at times, there is a responsibility laid upon us. We have to be patient at times, and we need to listen, because sometimes that's where the spiritually unsound gets through. And maybe there's something that you would have heard, and you recognize that that's unsound. Somebody else, maybe that's not as mature in the faith, and isn't as learned in the scriptures, would let that pass by. And because you're not listening, they think, well, you're content with that as well. And so everybody thinks that everybody else is content and they are comforted and maybe encouraged by what has been said was not the word of God at all. So we need to listen earnestly. But not only are we to test by the scriptures and test by being ready to hear what has been said, but we're to be tested by reason. Now, reason, of course, is subordinate to the Scriptures, but reason is not against the Scriptures. Sometimes you get the atheist, and they seem to portray um, the Bible or religion as being against reason. It is not against reason. The Word of God um, it uh, encourages our reason. We think of Paul when he stood before Festus in the book of Acts, and when uh, Festus accused Paul of being crazy. Paul said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and soberness. And the word soberness there means reason. In other words, he hadn't lost his senses. He was being reasonable. He was employing his reason. We think of um, how Peter exhorted the Christians to be ready to give an answer for the hope that was in them. And the Greek term that uh, Peter uses there is a legal and a technical term that was used in the Greek law courts. It, it, it uh, speaks of rational activity. So there is a rationalism that comes with testing the word of God. John, the apostle John said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now, what are the kind of um, things that we can look at rationally. Well, you think of people who tell us that God is talking to them through dreams. And what the dreams say, or what these words of prophecy say, contradict what God has revealed in the written word. Now, reason tells you that God does not contradict himself. Here is the infallible word of God. He's not going to give word to these people that contradicts what is said in the written word of God. What about religious people who hide behind the subjective, non-biblical based arguments? It's what I believe. Many people will say that today. This is what I believe. This is the God that I follow. But it's not the God of the scriptures. It's not the God that the scriptures tell us about. 
and they are believing in another God. It's again contradicting the word of God. Equally self-defeating is the posture assumed by many churches that you should not judge. You shouldn't judge what people believe. They take the text, judge not that ye be not judged. Well, of course, in the later part of that verse, the Lord speaks about the false uh, prophets and he calls upon the people to judge them and to make sure that they are not following the false prophets. So whatever judge not that ye be not judged means, it means really that you're going to be judged with the same judgment. In other words, if you are going to uh, judge people, then make sure that you're right so that when that judgment is upon you, that you're right with God. That's really what it means. But here were those who are saying, well, you shouldn't judge. You shouldn't. But here's what the, what does he say here? Prove all things. Is that a contradiction? Can't be a contradiction. Reason tells us, ah, well, reason, uh, supported by the word of God, tells us that God does not contradict himself. And you can see in many places where there are those today and they come with teaching that directly contradicts what the word of God has to say. And we can use reason then uh, to see that this is against the Bible. But then we are to test the scripture impartially. Uh, It is logical. Uh, For example, you think about the origin of mankind. And the Bible states that uh, God miraculously created mankind, man and woman, uh, he created them in God's image. He created marriage. He makes a helpmeet. He creates the environment in which... Now, the evolutionary theory tells us that um, the man arose spontaneously somewhere. The first man, the first woman, must have arose spontaneously somewhere else. What was the chance of them getting together? What was the chances of them in being in proximity with one another? All of these things, where were their children, or where were they uh, going to meet? Where were they going to, wh- what was going to happen? All of these questions that take place. And many of the scientists of today come with an, uh, a partial worldview. Many of the atheists today have a materialistic worldview that dismisses the supernatural. There can be no supernatural in their system of thinking. Nothing outside the realm of what they know in their system of thinking. But what if there is a, a spiritual world? The Bible speaks about the spiritual world. We know that God saves and God has uh, spoken to us and dealt with us spiritually and converted our hearts and given us new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to judge impartially, not by the world's... You know, there are many people today and they come with the world's point of view and they uh, want to mold the scriptures into the world's way of thinking. You have many, I understand, in the Southern Baptist Church in America today, and they've taken on the woke ideas of race theory and all of these things, and they want to mold the scriptures into what uh, is going to fit into the modern theory of today. That's a disaster. That's what's happened in the Church of England. That's why the Church of England is closing. 
Because you can't do that. Either the scripture is the scripture, either it's the word of God, or it's nothing. It's so much myth. It's so much uh, to be dismissed. You've got to, it's the word of God or nothing. So we are to test the scriptures. But one more thing I want you to see. We want to see the purpose here. He says in the text, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. So Paul is saying, having found the truth for yourself, having tested what is being preached, then he says, hold it fast. Hold it fast. Keep a grip grip on it. Keep a firm hold on what you have learned. Don't let it go. Don't let the truth of God's precious word go. You know, we naturally, as time goes on, our zeal begins to wane. We enter into maybe a new uh, church or new, uh, new phase of life, and we enter in with enthusiasm, and we go in with all, and we have the zeal of the convert. And then as time goes on, the zeal begins to wane, and the enthusiasm begins to weaken. And before long, um, we come to the point where we're not as careful as once we were, and other things enter in. Uh, we begin to get um, uh, thoughts about other things, and other things enter into our hearts. No, Paul says here, you're not to do that. Don't let things go. Don't let it slip. Many churches down through the years, and you can speak about them. You know them yourself. Many churches standing for God, standing for truth, and now they've slipped away, and they've let other things in, and they've let untruths in, and they've let those into the pulpits who preach untruths. No, Paul says, hold fast that which is good. In this day, there are even many ministers and pastors who have stood for the truth, and down through the years of their ministry and their pastorate, they have preached orthodox, and they have preached uh, all of these things that we believe in the Bible. And then at the end, something happens, like what has happened in the Southern Baptist Church. Many good pastors, many people who preached the gospel for years, and now they've been taken in by all of this. So, You don't judge by a man or what he does or what he says because a man can let you down. You've got to judge by what the word of God says. You've got to judge by what it says. And then he says, hold it fast. When you see what is the truth of God's word, don't let it go. Don't let it go. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. And you will be persecuted and you will be lambasted, and the people will tell you that you're an old fuddy-duddy, and that you live in the past, and that you're a dinosaur, and they will tell you all sorts of things. But, he, but what we need to do in this day of drifting away, and a day in which there is so much laxity, is that we hold fast that which is good. We have to be steadfast. We've got to be staunch. We've got to say no surrender to the backing down and the laxity of theology that there is in many places. But that means that you're looking at me. 
That means that you're looking at all of the... Pre- I, I, I'm not exempting myself in any way, and you know that I'm not exempting myself. And you need to listen to what I say. You need to make sure that what I'm saying is according to the Scriptures. But if what I am saying is according to the Scriptures, then, according to what we learned last week, what I am saying is as if God's message is coming to you from the pulpit. And with that, you have to listen to it, heed it, and take it in. It's not just a matter that it's the preacher's opinion. It's not just, and sometimes the preacher will give his opinion. But you've got to see when it is just the preacher giving the opinion and when it is what he is drawing from the precious word of God. But if it's not just the preacher's opinion and if it's not just what I believe and everybody, what they believe is on the same par, well, if it's from the scriptures, then it has the authority of heaven. And if we turn our backs upon what the word of God has to say, then we are um, those that are at fault. We need to make sure that we despise not prophesying, but then also that we prove all things and that we hold fast that which is good. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy precious word to our hearts today. And we'd ask thee, Lord, that we might be those that prove all things. O God, that we might be those that test the Scriptures. And we pray, our God, that we might uh, be those that test what we're being told. But then, Lord, make us staunch. Make us steadfast. Make us those that hold fast that which is good. Bless us now, we pray of thee, for it's in Jesus' precious name I would ask these things. Amen. Amen. Can we um, sing a few verses of um, the last hymn there, 419? May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. We'll sing the first two verses of this hymn and we'll stand as we sing. God and our gracious Father, take us to our homes in safety now. Be with us throughout this day. For it's in Jesus' precious name I would ask these things. Amen. Amen.